Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles, and you're listening to FT Startup Stories, a weekly show in which I talk to founders about the joys and challenges of starting a business. Will Dean is a former counterterrorism officer who founded the extreme sports company Tough Mudder. He told me how he came up with the idea for the business and why an early legal challenge proved a catalyst for success. It really was pretty simple thinking. I would do this. I think my friends would do this. And I think there are other people out there that want to do it. And I'm not going to call it a moment's genius, but I think the big insight was understanding that for most people, a race, a marathon, a triathlon—it's not really a race. It's very much a personal ambition to do it. Maybe you have a time in mind, but you're not out there to win it. And I remember a couple of years ago doing the New York Marathon with some friends. We were in different start waves. We didn't see each other once during the event, and so I tried to create something that was much more about teamwork. Working together, getting through it together, and not taking yourself too seriously. And Tough Mudder's designed that you know the obstacles you actually have to help each other. And I reasoned, well, I think if people come to a Tough Mudder and they're helping people over the obstacles, they'll actually enjoy that. That will be fun. So that was my kind of customer insight. And then I thought, what do I really need to test this? I need to find a field. And I need to build a pretty basic website and. You know, it's one of those classic. If you build it, they will come. And as it turned out, we were hoping for 500 people at the first event. Five weeks after we launched the website, we'd sold out 5,000 tickets for the first event. And I think at that point, clearly, I've exceeded my wildest expectations. I realised we were probably onto something. What Tough Mudder does is done by others. There was a legal case、mm-hmm. over it. How did you cope with that? Lawsuits are nasty things, particularly in the United States, and they're very expensive. And unfortunately, in lawsuits, there aren't really any winners. At the end of the day, you know, they become very costly. And whatever your principles, you just have to be pragmatic. But in a funny way, when I was sued, and you know, I stand by our assertion that no one invented the obstacle course. But when we were sued by somebody that felt that we'd taken their idea, it was in many ways the best thing that could have happened to us. Because it was such a catalyst to drive ourselves and to grow, because we had no choice. In fact, it created an imperative for us, and in many ways, I have quite a lot to be grateful to them for that. Because you know, I'm not sure that we would have pushed ourselves to become the global brand that we did at the speed that we did had there not been that imperative. And make no mistake, it was quite tiring and quite stressful at the time. But you know, it also made me think. Okay, I was at the time 28 years old. I had around two hundred thousand dollars of graduate school debt. And suddenly, I was in this multi-million-dollar lawsuit, and you think, okay, well, I better find a couple of million dollars quite quickly.、Um, so, what, what choices do I have here? You know, the business was taking off. Okay, well, I need to really push the thing into overdrive to ensure that we become profitable sooner, faster. And, and I think something a lot of entrepreneurs also have in common is, you know, you have to find the opportunities in that adversity. You have to see. 
you know, we're an obstacle course, so you know, pun not intended, but you have to be able to see the opportunity in every obstacle that life throws at you. And, you know, it forces you to develop more maturity, more self-awareness. There are days where you feel like not getting out of bed in the morning and pulling you know, the cover over your head. But, you know, you get up and you get on with it. And for better or for worse, I enjoyed proving people wrong. My professors at business school told me it was a bad idea. I think you know, most people assumed, you know, when you're 28 years old and you're being sued, you're probably going to fold. Yeah. And we didn't. And, you know, we're here to tell the tale. And I'm very proud of that. The business was growing fast. How did you cope with that? You know, when you're small, you have to be Jacob, all trades master of none. And you have to surround yourself with people that embrace good enough. And you need generalists and you need people that are very good with ambiguity. And when the company's very small, say zero to 10 employees, the way you manage is very, very different, you know, even compared to 20 employees. And um, you know, there's quite a lot written that when you get to about 150 employees, you get to that stage where not everyone knows everyone's name. If you're not careful, silos can start to form. So you know, what do you do about those things? Well, Hopefully, you're bringing the right people into the organisation. You know, you've created the right systems and processes around recruitment, induction, assessment. That's part of the battle. But probably the most important thing as a leader that you can do is make sure you have strong deputies around them and empower them and then get out of the way. And then make sure you're very, very clear about what your priorities are and what you're doing. And most people are quite good at prioritisation. In my experience, very few people have the discipline to deprioritize and if you're going to do some things by definition it means not doing lots of other things what instances of tough mudder are those so if you think about some of the things that we're now getting into here we are in 2017 we're now quite aggressively moving into the tv space so we have three tv shows at the moment we have two in the united states uh, with cbs which focuses on the more race side of our business and with World's Toughest, and then we have CW, which focuses on the storytelling of the people that do it. And then here in the UK, we have uh, Sky Sports, and um, we have Mission Mudder, which is following five Olympians and their journey to Tough Mudders. People sometimes say to me, well, when did you think about getting into TV? And, I mean, the answer is probably about four or five seconds after I first thought about Tough Mudder. But uh, back in 2010, we were very fortunate. We had a feature on us in the New York Times, and... You know, we were flown out to LA from New York by all these big production companies and it was very clear to me that although this was exciting, it was also something that we just didn't have the bandwidth to get right back in 2010. And you know, I had to say no for many years. And I was saying no to what was definitely a good idea, but it was still the right thing at the time to say no because you know, we had to focus on putting on great events, not just in the US, but in the UK, Australia, expanding into Asia, making sure we had the right systems and processes, making sure we had the right innovation around the new obstacles every year. So saying no to good ideas is hard. It's particularly hard for entrepreneurs because, of course, you like going after the new things. What about the next level for Tuskman? If you say you're becoming this big media brand, mm-hmm. what does that mean for you, you can't control that in the way you can if when you were a small no, outfit. No, you can't, right? And um, you know, I think good business leaders, they hire great people, they set a clear vision, and then they get out of the way. So the way you manage has to change, you have to let go, and that can be hard for founders. You know. Do you have any advice on how you do that? It is difficult. I don't think there's any kind of one sort of you know, panacea that you can embrace, but I think as the company grows, it's very easy to take things personally that are just not meant personally at all. And I think 
when you go through that process, probably the most important thing to understand is Tough Mudder, whatever company it might be, maybe your baby, to everybody else it's a business. And you will never not have an emotional connection to the thing you founded. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find the most effective thing is to say to people, look, you need to understand I am two things, and they're actually quite distinct. I am the founder, and I will always be the founder, and I am also the CEO. And those two roles are quite different. The founder, in some ways, is quite analogous to being a parent. Um, And then the CEO, well, you have to be a rational, logical person. You have to set clear vision, strategy, priorities, manage by metrics, etc., etc. But telling me not to sometimes think like a founder, even if valid advice, is impossible for me. And you need to understand that because I am the founder and I did start this company and I do have all of these memories and emotions. And so recognizing you have that, being comfortable with that, at least trying to stop that clouding your judgment, but also being honest with other people that it's part of who you are is quite important. People often look at success in fast-growing businesses mm-hmm. and maybe this is because a lot tend to be tech that you know you have to have raised mm-hmm. millions if not billions you have to be moving towards the IPO yeah. and that isn't the journey of Tough Matter so far what do you say to that? So I think there's a couple of things first of all I don't have a problem with tech entrepreneurs and they're great if you can build a company that's worth billions of dollars I think Sometimes the attention this handful of companies get crowds out everything else that's happening. And, and most entrepreneurs aren't, unfortunately, building billion-dollar companies, but you know, hopefully they are building companies that you know, are employing people and you know, are generating profits, and hopefully one day are worth something. You know, I don't think Tough Mudder is a billion-dollar company quite yet, but you know, we are worth an insignificant amount of money. And it's funny because I go to these conferences and people ask me, oh, well, how much money have you raised? And I say, well, actually, we haven't. And um, they lean in, and often they put their hand on my shoulder, and they say, it's going to be okay, Will. And I say, I know it's going to be okay. And I do worry that there's so much focus on the Snapchats, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Ubers of this world. And genuinely, I don't begrudge their phenomenal success. But most people won't achieve you know, those kind of lottery ticket-esque one-in-a-million Results. Um, most people, it's about hard work. It's about resilience. It's about kind of pushing forward. And you know, I think when we talk about success as an entrepreneur, in my experience, happy entrepreneurs aren't necessarily the people that are multi-billionaires. They're people that enjoy what they do. They derive a sense of meaning and purpose. They believe their companies in their own small way are making a positive difference in the world. As I said, I don't pretend Tough Mudder is curing cancer or bringing peace to the Middle East, but we are getting people to live healthy, active lifestyles, and I'm proud of that. And So do you have a metric that you say, yeah, we're, I know we're succeeding because mm-hmm. we're doing this? As a CEO, clearly we have a set of metrics that we manage the company by. You know, we have revenue, and we have EBITDA targets, you know, we have lots of other metrics that matter, customer satisfaction, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But if we're talking about entrepreneurship, you have to talk about that in the context of a life. And I know quite a few, quote-unquote, successful entrepreneurs that are very unhappy people. They're very stressed. They feel quite overwhelmed. On the one hand, they know that their net wealth is very high. Their liquid wealth is very, very low. But they feel completely overwhelmed. And you only get one shot at life. And I think if you're going to build a company and you're going to pour a lot of time and effort into it, you better believe in what you're doing. You better be able to enjoy it. And you better be able to do it in the context of the other things that matter in life. And too many of the people I know aren't particularly balanced in that regard. And 
Something I'll say about the venture capital industry is a venture capitalist is far more interested in getting one company to a billion dollars than it is getting 10 companies to 20 million dollars for obvious reasons. A venture capitalist makes hundreds of bets. They're diversified, to use the business jargon, and the entrepreneur is not. So the entrepreneur might be quite happy with a $20 million company, but the venture capitalist is going to push you very hard to the point where you might trip up and fail to get to a billion dollars, because that's what's exciting. But the venture capitalist incentives may not be perfectly aligned with your own, and they may push you to go faster, make riskier bets, and burn yourself out. The people who work at Tough Mudder, are they kind of sporty people? Where, where do you, you find good people? Yeah, I sometimes get asked, you know, do you make everybody do the events? And I say that I don't make everybody do it. But I do say, look, if you want to come and work at Tough Mudder, it is a bit weird if you don't at least want to do one of the events. And that's not the same as saying we all have to do it every weekend. And I do stand by that. I do think it's important to practice what you preach. There are quite a few people here that are healthy and active. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. But in terms of where they come from, you know, it is all walks of life. We have some people that come out of the city who are bored with kind of traditional careers in law or finance. We've hired quite a few people out of big sports organisations like the Olympics, Formula One. When you're a medium-sized company and you're going through a lot of change and a lot of growth, you need people that are still relatively comfortable with ambiguity because we're neither a startup nor are we a sophisticated 50-year-old company. We're in those kind of awkward teenager years and you need somebody that's okay with that. And you know, the most important thing is you get people into the organisation that want to make the company better tomorrow than it is today. And there's so much written these days about business culture and the importance of culture. And I think often people think it's about having you know, table football tables or fridges full of beer. And yeah. that just completely misses the point. Culture is about how do people behave when their boss isn't looking. Most people, when their boss come along, you know, they shut down Facebook, they pretend they're busy. That's true in any company. You know, we put on events that happen in fields outside of major cities, far away from our office. Many of the people that produce the events are relatively young. Many of them, it's their first job out of university. And so you need people that are natural self-starters that want to make things better in their own way, are a little impatient with the status quo, like to agitate in a good way to improve. Will was accused of stealing someone else's idea, but ultimately survived the challenge. I asked Nikos Nikolaou of Warwick Business School to comment on Will's story and how easy it is to patent an idea. You can't really patent or copyright an idea. The idea is just a first step, but without some identifiable embodiment of the idea, you can't really get intellectual property protection on your idea. You really need to move from the idea to something more concrete, where it's actually concrete enough to be an invention. And if it's an invention, then you can patent it. The patent for an invention will give the inventor a right for 20 years to prevent others from making, using or selling that invention without the permission of the inventor. However, even if you have a patent, it doesn't mean that other people can't do something similar. One of the biggest limitations of patents is that people can invent around your patent. That is, copy your idea without actually legally infringing on your patent. So they go and they read up the claims of the patent very, very carefully, and they find a way to actually do the same thing without actually infringing on the patent. Another problem with patents is information disclosure. So if you get a patent... 
the patent is publicly available. Anyone can download it. Anyone can read it. And sometimes companies prefer not to patent something and keep it as a trade secret because it will take your competitor much longer to reverse engineer your product. And also there's a cost of getting a patent which can be prohibitive, the cost of defending a patent that court, again, that can be prohibitively expensive, particularly for a startup. What if it's a service, though, where you can't patent that idea? How do you ensure that you're the company that gets all the attention, all the success? It's much harder for processes or for services. You can still patent a process, but they're much less effective than if you patent a product. You know, at the end of the day, it's often better to just go and do it. Just make sure that you have a great brand, a great team, and you have a great product that customers actually really, really want. If you actually have a marketing strategy that resonates very well with your customers, you can really acquire quite a significant share of the market. And it's much easier to do so nowadays than than before. And I think Will Dean could really understand what customers wanted. I think you really need to embed yourself with your customer base. You really need to think like your customers do. I think there's a myth in entrepreneurship that you need this big idea. And if you look at many of the most successful businesses, really they're iterative. Steve Jobs didn't invent the MP3 player, he just made it easier to use. Richard Branson, when he got into airlines, you know, he didn't change any of the technology in airlines. All he did was improve customer service. And I say all, like that was a small thing. It's not. Those were big changes, and at the time they created very valuable businesses. And the truth is, effective companies aren't 50% better at one thing, they're 1% better at lots of things. And cumulatively, that adds up to something very big. So here in the UK, we have about 80% of the muddy obstacle core space. It's about 200 other competitors fighting after that remaining 20%. And we all have access to the same mud, the same fields, the same technologies, if you can call it that. So what is it that makes the difference? Well, it's the people, the culture, the systems and the processes the underlying values behind it. And you put all of those things together, and if you're 1% better in every area, it soon adds up something very powerful. So I think we have the best innovation. I think we have the most exciting obstacles. We get the most people. We can have the best obstacles because we have the most people. We have the best sponsors, best partners, because we have the largest crowds, because we have the most engaged audience, which of course then creates this virtuous cycle. But the most important part of that is people. Next week, we talk to an entrepreneur who came up with her business idea while on a cycling tour of the UK. In the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on previous episodes, you can visit our special page, ft.com slash startup. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., 
Corrientes experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com.